Today on CityCast Denver, we're not talking about Handmaid's Tale. We're not talking about wire hangers. And we're definitely not talking about an underground railroad. Just call it what it is. Abortion. 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 And I'm so excited to introduce you to two people who know this issue in Colorado as well as anyone. Because even though it's legal here for now, the fight for abortion access never stops. Today is Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver. It's Friday, and that means we're in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward talking about the news. Um, And today, we're having a conversation that I've been thinking about for weeks. We've actually been discussing this quite a bit as a team, how to talk about the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade in late June. It's now August, and it feels like this conversation changes every week. Um, But we have two special guests here with me today. Elizabeth Hernandez, uh, Denver Post star reporter. Welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you for having me. And first timer, my good friend, Justine Sandoval, political strategist and longtime reproductive health care advocate. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So, Elizabeth, um, like I was saying, it feels like this issue of abortion access, something changes every week. Do you have a sense of where we are right now? I think a lot of people are feeling the impacts of the reversal. Um, And a lot of people are just kind of figuring out what comes next, I think. Um, So many people have been preparing for this and warning about this for for years and years. But I think for a lot of everyday people, this was very jarring. Um, And and maybe some people um, have only just kind of processed this. And so I think there's a lot of uh, evolving, like you said. And I think... um, we're just going to start seeing kind of what happens next. Justine, you worked in this area for a long time, almost a decade. And I wonder what you've heard from your friends and folks on the front lines about what they're feeling or, or what they think is, is next or what are we what are we looking at right now? Well, we anticipated this for a very long time and we're preparing for this moment. Um, nothing prepares you for having a human right taken away. So <laughs> with that said, I think right now, especially in Colorado, there was a lot of groundwork that had been laid um, for this moment to be able to protect um, access here in Colorado. So I think right now they are just in survival mode at the moment, uh, making sure that we have funds coming into the state to be able to uh, take care of people who are coming here to access abortion, which to be very clear, just because abortion's been legal here doesn't mean that it's always been accessible. So I think that's the scramble now is how do we provide services and make sure that there aren't any gaps um, when people are coming in to access abortion health care here. What do you mean by not always accessible? Well, <laughs> that's the thing about abortion rights. It's not really a right if you can't access it. And we often see, you know, in states like Colorado, who are, is a, what is a very pro-choice state, um, there are not a lot of abortion clinics. There are not a lot of places to get an abortion. So, you know, there's still travel. Um, even if you live here for people trying to access abortion, um, it is blocked. There's federal funding that is blocked by the Hyde Amendment. And Colorado also has a state Hyde Amendment that um, bans any state money from going towards abortion care. So there's lots of barriers that were already in place pre 
the rolling back of Roe um, that people had to overcome. And that especially affects women of color, um, poor women, um, you know, our LGBTQ plus community, uh, young people. That's interesting because I think that you're talking about something that's not always well known, which is we think, okay, it's legal in Colorado. Great, right? End of story. But that's not really the case. It's There's these other things that are hemming up the funding that make it hard to access. Maybe you live in a rural area that's not close. I think about, I live in Denver. I've had an abortion. Planned Parenthood is literally down the street from my house. That is not the case for a lot of folks. Yes, exactly. That's not the case for many people. And cost is a barrier. And if you were getting an abortion, even early on um, in pregnancy, you're paying anywhere from $500 up to if you need to have a later in pregnancy abortion, which can be $8,000 plus. So if you don't have uh, personal health insurance or you don't have any other resource, you are stuck paying out of pocket for that. And that is a burden not only to pay for the procedure, but the gas to get there, um, the time off you may take from work. Most um, people who access abortion already have multiple children. So, you know, there's the issue of childcare. Uh, It just goes on and on, the burdens and the barriers that people um, encounter when it comes to accessing abortion. So Justine's talking about a lot of folks in the state accessing it, but we're also seeing a lot of folks coming from out of state as things change, you know, with these laws that had trigger laws that went into effect in other states. So what are you hearing from providers about um, what they're experiencing right now in terms of patient load? I think providers are really worried um, about being able to handle these extra patients. Um, We've heard from a lot of different providers that there are wait times that they haven't seen before, that they already were as busy as they could be, and now they're having these extra appointments from states where it's banned. Um, They're worried about staff burnout, which already during the pandemic is an issue. Um, And we've heard about in in certain clinics, people coming from places like Texas and other states and literally sleeping in their cars outside of the clinics. Um, So I think clinics are facing a lot right now and and trying to keep up with this demand. Wow. Justine, what um, what does it mean if someone has to wait for an abortion? I mean, every minute is crucial when trying to access abortion care because the further along you are, the more expensive the procedure becomes. Um, So waiting is everything. We saw that during the pandemic um, in Texas when they weren't counting abortion as an essential health care service. And, you know, that is crucial because it is a time restricted uh, medical procedure. So yeah, time is everything. If you can't get an abortion in a timely manner, that's also another barrier that makes it not a full right that you can access if you can't get it when you need it. I think that's why this is so complex beyond just is it a right here in Colorado or not. Elizabeth, you reported on something really interesting recently, which is folks seeking permanent forms of birth control, particularly sterilization, what is going on in that sphere of healthcare? Because I, I know, I, I just love for you to describe what folks told you who were trying to access this form of preventative care. Yeah, so we know that nationally and locally, people are seeking forms of permanent birth control um, in, in higher numbers after the reversal. And we also know that historically, doctors have given a lot of pushback to particularly young women who are seeking um, these these procedures or people in the LGBTQ community as well. And 
in talking with a lot of people seeking these, they've heard young women who, you know, are single or who are in their 20s. Um, they've heard from doctors things like, well, maybe someday you'll have a husband and maybe he'll want kids. Um, so I don't think I'll perform this procedure for you. Or we've wow. heard um, things like, so your mom isn't going to be a grandma someday. Um, so we've heard a, a lot of women um, say that they feel very demeaned and feel like their healthcare providers aren't listening to them, aren't taking them seriously, or are seeking permission from their partners for this. Um, and so as as people are, are looking for options um, in this field, there is still a lot of pushback in this area. Um, but there are also, we've talked to providers who understand the issue and who are happy to talk with their patients about this and um, figure out what's what's best for everybody. So we know that these procedures can still happen as well. Elizabeth, did you ever talk to, I know you spoke with some doctors who are, are um, on this list of folks who will absolutely do sterilization and not push back on patients. But did you talk to any doctors who were like the kind of doctor that won't do this procedure? I didn't, but I think that it can depend on a lot of different factors from insurance. Um, we've heard doctors say that there are some insurance companies that make it really difficult to get these, including um, Medicaid, which can impose a, which does impose a 30 day waiting period. Um, and in that 30 days from the time a doctor signs off, they said that sometimes people can just kind of get lost in the system or not come back or in that time get pregnant. Um, so there are additional barriers to these procedures as well. Justine, I think this gets to this bigger issue that a lot of reproductive health advocates are working on, which is so folks want to prevent pregnancy and it's still being made hard in, in certain parts of this. What is what is your take on this? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of the anti-choice advocates always frame it as like, we're just trying to stop abortions. You can use birth control. But as we've seen going forward, there is also a war on birth control and access. It becomes a thing of actually just regulating people's bodies. So um, in Colorado, we've had great success with free birth control programs. We had the LARC program, um, which was a $5 million grant for five years uh, I think 2014, uh, before 2014 that came out, we got the numbers back in 2014 and it was incredible. I think we lowered abortion rates in the state by like 51%. We uh, lowered teen pregnancy by a similar amount. And we were finding that for every dollar spent on this free birth control program, which included LARCs, which are like IUDs and any long acting reversible contraception. Um, we saw for every dollar spent on the program, a $5 return. So it was a $25 million cost saving for the state on unintended pregnancy costs. And it was great. So that worked. But now we're starting to see a rollback. And I think because a lot of these anti-choice groups feel super emboldened now, they're going all in on all types of regulation. That includes um, birth control access. What do you think about that idea that anti-choice advocates are emboldened? I mean, you're someone that worked in this field for a long time. You guys are always working like five steps ahead. Is this just like something you've never seen before or? 
I mean, we've, old news. we've seen it and now they're taking a huge victory lap because this was the goal. Um, when I started in this work in 2014, I came in to do an anti-abortion amendment to work against it, um, 67, Amendment 67. And that was um, a personhood amendment here in Colorado. Well, we were, you know, that year, NARAL National came out with a study and a statistic that seven in 10 people in the country, no matter where you are, support access to abortion. And so we know that the majority of the country is on our side when it comes to accessing abortion. What these groups were really good at doing was getting into state legislators or legislatures to um, bring model legislation in all of these different heartbeat bills. The heartbeat bills are the newest ones. There's been like so many. Started personhood, heartbeat bills, uh, 20 week bans. Uh, you've seen them all over and these bills were identical state by state because we saw them here in Colorado. We we're constantly defeating them. Thank you, everyone <laughs> who helped to do that here and keep our state safe. But that became the trend and it was this idea to chip away at, at Roe. And so we had the um, whole men's health a case in Texas that went in front of the Supreme Court. And that was like one of the last moments we had when there was a Supreme Court that was able to block that. But since that moment, and really since, you know, Trump was elected, there was a, a crack for these groups to be able to get in there and, you know, have these states pass these laws that would get in front of the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, it was a perfect storm to create the situation we're in now. So they're taking a victory lap. Um, although they are not the majority opinion of this country. That's so interesting. It's like a thing we know anecdotally from just being out in the world, talking to the our friends, and, and but there's still this really powerful minority group. Oh, yeah. And I, I did all my eight years in Colorado traveling around the state, talking to people about abortion. I think when I started at NARAL, now COBOL, uh, we had... 8,000 members. And by the time I left, we had like 110,000 members statewide. And people always said, oh, isn't it hard to go to rural Colorado and talk about abortion? I'm like, actually, it's not. Coloradans are super pro-choice. And that's across party lines. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I would like go to places like Alamosa and have so many people come up and say, thank you for being here. We need this. Um, you know, there's a lot of poverty that people are faced with in Southern Colorado, not a lot of access to medical care. And there's a lot of different issues people are facing. And you had people in the community coming up and saying, hey, if we had better access to birth control, if we had better access to abortion services, it can improve the life of rural Coloradans. And I don't think people see that because it's been painted as such a controversial issue. It's actually not. It's interesting. So it's not even like a rural urban divide. Not at all. Interesting. And I will tell you that as fact after traveling the state for eight years talking to people, it is not a divisive issue. So I know before um, Roe came down, our state made these extra steps legislatively to protect abortion here. Elizabeth, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we have the Reproductive Health Equity Act here in Colorado, which is essentially enshrined access to abortion into state law. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of states are being faced with right now is whether or not they're going to do something like that, be, the issue being left up to the states. Um, and, and more recently, also, Governor Polis has issued an executive order essentially saying the state will not cooperate with criminal uh, or civil investigations with things like people crossing state lines um, to come to Colorado to get an abortion in states where it is not legal for them to do that. 
Um, so there are these protections here. And um, I think that people generally feel safe in Colorado to get an abortion. Um, there are, as we've talked about, these barriers that exist. Um, but I think we're finding that people are uh, interested in ways to get involved. Um, yeah. Um, Justine, I know that you worked for Cobalt, uh, one of these abortion and reproductive health advocacy groups that were working on this and took it to legislators. Like, what's the backside? What's the process of this um, legislation? How did we get to there? Oh, I'm so glad you asked <laughs> because I've been there <laughs> since the beginning of this piece. Um, so when I started working on this issue in 2014 with that uh, anti-choice amendment that was uh, 67, but no one's 67, you'll still get into heaven. That was my uh, line that I made up. For <laughs> so that year, um, you know, it was really about building a pro-choice majority in the state legislature because at that time, I think especially a lot of Democrats were like, yeah, we're pro-choice, but they were very wishy-washy on speaking about the issue in public. I think that because of that stigma, they felt like it's not something you can speak on. Um, but then we were running with that 7 and 10 stuff, and we were like, actually, you can, and this is how you talk about it. So groups like Cobalt, Planned Parenthood, uh, Color Latina, all of these groups in the uh, Colorado Reproductive Rights Health and Justice Coalition made a roadmap basically where we were going into every part of the state to talk to say um, people running for the state legislator and getting them to be okay with talking about abortion and electing pro-choice champions because we were finding we had um, membership throughout the state. So that was one of the first things that we, we did is we built this roadmap by engaging people. And so we were able to successfully advocate to get pro-choice uh, legislators elected. And that's why you saw things now like uh, Rhea getting passed because we had that majority in the state house. So that was one of the big things we did. Um, yeah, and just building up membership and teaching people how to talk about abortion. I mean, the 7 in 10 thing is true, not just, you know. Uh, the 7 in 10 Coloradans. Yeah, 7 in 10 nationally support nationally abortion. Support yeah. abortion. That's here. We saw that's in Kansas. That's in the reddest parts of the country and the bluest parts of the country. And it's really about how you change your messaging and you're talking about abortion to people in the areas that they are. So we found that very successful, that our message could be the same, you know, abortion rights or human rights here in Denver, but how we talk about that to people in, you know, rural Colorado changes. But we were finding that most people were on the same page with protecting abortion rights. So it really came down to electing um, pro-choice candidates, um, supporting people in other areas who are pro-choice and advocating um you know, for abortion rights and actually more access just to health care. We found that in a lot of these conversations, people in other states or parts of Colorado were just like, yeah, we need abortion access and we also just need more health General access. primary care. Exactly. Sure. So it becomes a health care access issue across the state. And when we talk about that from one group that is missing that access, you're able to frame it and, you know, make a bigger picture of how much health care access is missing across the board for Coloradans. So Justine brought up language. Um, Elizabeth, I want to ask you about something that you wrote about. Uh, what is camping? Yeah, so there is this meme um, that people started posting saying, essentially, after after the reversal, uh, you know, if you need to go camping in, in Colorado, kind of camping in quotations, I have a tent you could use and you can stay safely with me. Um, and, and sort of 
hinting at the fact that they, if someone needed to cross state lines or if someone needed to come to Colorado for an abortion, they would put them up and take care of them. Um, and what I kept hearing from people that I was talking to, uh, people in abortion advocacy, people running abortion funds, was please stop doing this um, because there are professional networks like Cobalt um, that are already established who have been doing this kind of work, connecting people to safe um, abortion access for many years. And by implicating yourself um, just as an individual person, Right now, there is a lot of confusion about what legalities might exist around this issue. Um, we don't really know what states are going to do. Um, and while we have these protections in Colorado, everyone is saying, please just leave this up to the networks that exist. Um, if people, if you want to help um, donate to abortion funds, if you want to help, there are these networks that have existed for many years. So rather than kind of shouting into the internet, that you might be doing something that other states might not find legally sound, um, do do this in a way that we've set the foundation for already. I'm just thinking <clears throat> about that awful case of the child who was raped and then um, was taken out of state for an abortion and then there's all this back and forth. And just seeing what is what is the concern as someone who's worked in this field with things like people i mean i understand that desire i want to help right now but like what kind of implications does that have yeah that was always a big issue for us especially as laws started to tighten up in texas and other states surrounding us people calling the office especially there was just like a series of bad things that kept going on you know in the last several years and it was always interesting when these things would come down in the news our offices would get flooded with calls of people like i have a guest room i'll drive people we'll do all of these things which is great yeah and you're right i get the desire to help because you want to do that but you know there's a it, this is a medical procedure right. <laughs> and i think a lot of times um i had read a great article years ago and it was this whole thing about you know you're have you're coming to have your abortion and the well-meaning woman who's putting you up in your house maybe you don't want to have a casserole with her that night afterwards or talk with someone you don't know after having a procedure so one of the things we try to do and also it's a safety issue right um we don't know who some of these people are we don't we're want not to start vetting these yeah. rooms for rent or yeah and there's a lot of extra work for um pro-choice groups to vet those people and do that side of things. Um, so they've already set up networks. They've already set up, you know, resources. We have part of the money we do get for the Cobalt Abortion Fund goes to practical support care as well, helping people pay for travel, you know, hotel rooms if they need it, food. During the pandemic, we had families coming in and everything was shut down to get something to eat. So while they're in their hotel room, we were able to send some groceries over. And that's stuff that we've already set up. So if you want to help donate money to abortion funds, um, it just makes it easier for these groups in a lot of ways. But it is also very much a safety issue. Because they're established. They have, yes. they're literally a network. Yes. So <laughs> they can help. Um, I'm just curious for both of you, what's next? What's on the forefront of abortion access? <laughs> I <laughs> That's <think> a giant <laughs> question. I think for me as a reporter, I'm interested in looking at the many ripple effects that this will have, um, which is what we've been doing so far. And I think there are just so many stories to come out of this. I think some people think like, oh, Colorado is is safe. You know, there there aren't really many stories here. But that's just not the case. We're seeing 
um, so many things be impacted, like uh, healthcare providers are inundated. That pushes back procedures for everybody that can impact healthcare outside of abortion. Um, you know, and, and just in general, I reported a story on mental health um, for women during this time and for people um, who are seeking abortions. And this weighs really heavy, um, whether or not you are in a state where these laws exist. Um, just the, the fact that you woke up one day and there are people in this country who don't have a right that they did the day before, um, that weighs really heavy on people. And so... I think there are so many ripple effects to come that we'll still be seeing and um, listening to people involved in this conversation is something that I'm interested in doing to keep finding these stories. <sighs> so what's next? <laughs> the question <laughs> that haunts us every day. I think, um, you know, it's going to be some time until we are able to secure abortion rights nationally. Um, I've heard people say anywhere from five to eight years that they're looking at us to bounce back from this situation here. But yeah, we're going to see longer wait times, um, especially here in Colorado. And another thing that I don't think um, a lot of people talk about is the shortage of actual abortion providers. Mm. Um, you know, there's so much stigma around it for so long. It was a lot harder for them to find young doctors who will go into practicing abortion care. You have Dr. Hearn here, the great Dr. Hearn. But he's you know, like... In his 80s? Yeah. Maybe? I mean, with, nothing's wrong with that. It's just like, who's who's going to, t you know what I mean? Who's going to carry that? It's like a legacy position almost. Exactly. And, you know, Dr. Hearn is amazing, uh, devoted to his work. But, you know, I'm sure he'd like to, he retire to retire someday. Yes. And so finding someone to take over his practice, I've, you know, heard him mention, you know, it's been difficult. And that's just not his um, sentiment. That's many abortion providers and especially providers that provide later in pregnancy abortion care care like him. So um, looking to the future of who are going to be the doctors providing uh, these abortions, that's an issue that we are also facing, um, you know, coming up into the future. But I never thought about that. I feel like there's hope. I feel like um, I always talk about this generation gap. When I was doing a lot of my advocacy, you had a lot of older women who were like, yeah, we fought this in 1973. And then you had kind of like this middle group that was like, it's fine. Bro's a thing. We don't have to worry about it. You're all being alarmist. We were very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my age group for sure. Yeah, yeah, same. And now you see this younger generation that's like, oh my God, you know, we've rolled all the way back. So I think, you know, having conversations to bridge the gap between those two generations to talk about, okay, we've been here before. What do we do now as a movement, as a group to make sure that we get this right back? So I think that's where we're headed. That's a great sentiment. Conversations and support. One last thing for you both. Um, next week, we are facing off Snarfs versus Chiba Hut. Uh, Elizabeth, where do you where do you land in the Snarfs versus Chiba Hut battle? I'm a Snarfs girl. Um, <laughs> I, I went to see Boulder and I was very close to a Snarfs and it's just sort of holds a special place in my heart. Um, and I also now live in Cap Hill, like a block from Snarf Burger and Snarf Sandwiches. So it just feels like it's following me a little bit. <laughs> Justine. Well, I love all sandwiches, so <laughs> it's hard. But, you know, I think I'm going to go with Snarfs as well. Although Chiba Hut does have Kool-Aid 
on tap. They so, do? Yeah, you can get Kool-Aid from the fountain. And sometimes you just have like an old school craving for some Kool-Aid. I was like, I feel like you were just talking about yeah. this on Twitter yesterday. You were like, mm, I'd really love some Kool-Aid right yeah, now. Yeah, I just can't bring myself to like put two cups of sugar right. in a pitcher and watch it. <laughs> I'll drink if it's already made. I didn't have to see that I put like, you know, half a bag of sugar in there. But That's yeah. good to know, though, that you <laughs> yeah. can go to Chiba Hut if you don't want to yeah. go through the process. Good for the cotton mouth. Get some <laughs> fruit punch Kool-Aid. But sandwich-wise, I'll go Snarfs. Okay, (laughs) good deal. And I'm extending this question to you, our dear listeners. Are you a Snarfs freak or a Chiba Hut hound? Leave us a voicemail with your name, neighborhood, and hottest sandwich take at 720-500-5418. And you might hear it on the show. Well, Elizabeth Hernandez, Justine Sandoval, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. I'm your host, Bree Davies. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library and the band All the Komodos. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Bye-bye. I did not know that. That's so so funny. (laughs) I'm like, this is the most stonery thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean... The Me. one time I was I'm like, like, oh, Kool Aid. I like dined in at a Chiba Hut. There was someone who was having a bad trip, like in the restaurant. And I was like, is this just like a setup? <laughs> oh, I should have shared. I remember one time my former coworker, Jenna Ozels, um, Wendy Davis was in town doing stuff for us. And um, I forgot what election year. I maybe she was speaking at something. Anyways, she was staffing her, and her and Wendy Davis went to have lunch at Chiba Hut. <laughs> <laughs> Just enjoy this white widow sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay. Sure. She said she was very interested. Like, she much. She's like, oh, I get it. It's the Colorado thing. (laughs) (laughs) 